When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. From the Fifth Quarter Studios in Madison, Wisconsin, you're listening to Coach Unplugged. And now, your host, Steve Collins. Hey everybody, welcome to Coach Unplugged. So thank you so much for joining us today. We would love if you'd love leave a review um, down below. Those five-star reviews really do help us a lot. Uh, but before we jump into the podcast, I'd like to give a big shout out to our two sponsors. First of all, Dr. Dish, the number one shooting machine on the market. Can't say enough great things about the people up in, in oh gosh, where are they? They're, I know it's a suburb of Minneapolis. Um, I'm going to have to look that up before the next podcast. But um Great customer service, so easy to set up and break down. It is, uh, you know, I, we own three of them. That's that's probably um, what I've had a lot of people come and try to sponsor this podcast, but I only do sponsors that I truly believe in. And I believe in Dr. Dish. I also believe in teachhoops.com for coaches who want to get better. It is my baby. It is what allows all these podcasts to go out and stay free and to all of you. So, um, you know, several ways you can help us out. By, by leaving a review, but also by coming checking out teachhoops.com. Uh, right now we have a three, a quarterly three month um, subscription that will, you know, not be around forever, but we're trying some new things out. So come over and check it out and have a great day. I don't know if you'll be the lucky one that will get a episode a thousand coach. I'm telling all the coaches in the next couple of weeks, I'm not sure where they're going to fall, but somebody's going to be episode a thousand. So well, um, knowing my luck, I'll probably be $9.99. But... $9.99. Be. I'm Could happy be. to be on. I might English. do a special one for a thousand. I might do my like rants, like get rid of the jump ball kind of thing. Um, there you go. You know, I, I will, but we'll save that. That's for a later discussion. Um, so Chad, I'm going to have you introduce yourself and just kind of tell a little bit, uh, tell the audience a little bit about yourself and a little bit about your basketball journey. And then we'll uh, we'll jump right into the, into the interview. Okay, yeah, it's Chad Seibert. Um, I coach at Eastern Mennonite School currently, which is a small private school in Harrisonburg, Virginia. So uh, Harrisonburg. What's the biggest town other than? Um, well, we're two hours from DC. We're we're forty five okay. minutes from Charlottesville, where UVA is. Um, you know, two hours from Richmond. Okay. Well, yeah, we're right, right in the same town as James Madison University, um, which most people know. So, yep. yeah, that's that's what I do, and we're um, we're a K through twelve school, so we have about three hundred and fifty students. So we're classified as Division three uh, private school here, which would be the smallest classification, but it's where the most most of the private schools in Virginia are Division three. So is driving, around, is driving around DC bad? Have you do you have, do you have to drive around DC very often? Uh, traffic wise, it is yeah horrible. It is we do go up to Northern Virginia area a couple times for you know for some of the schools we play. the The private schools here are very spread out, right. so almost everyone that we play is two hours away. 
And so, yeah, we do spend some time up there then, especially for AAU um, in the DMV area, you know, Virginia, Maryland, DC, up in there. And it's, yeah, if you, I mean, we've had things where we're a mile away from the place where we're playing, but it could take you 45 minutes if you're trying to drive it. I, 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 from talking to other coaches, it's like I'm, I'm putting DC, Atlanta, and New York City. Those are my, those are, those are from, from having experienced, I haven't experienced DC in a really long time, but Atlanta and New York, horrible. Yeah. Awesome. It, it depends on the time of right. day that you go. But yeah, I'm not sure. I'm, I don't have the personality to live in an area like that for sure. I'm way too impatient. I don't either. I, I, a funny discussion is my sister-in-law worked in, um, she lived in downtown Chicago and she worked in a suburb and I, and I did the math for her one Thanksgiving about how much of her life she was spending in her car. Oh, wow. She moved within like six months. I go, I bet that was eye opening. I go, Mari, you're spending like a third of your life in a car. Why, why are you doing that? Like, you gotta, you gotta figure out your commute. Cause you're spending like two, three hours a day in the car. It's like, you can't do that, man. Not for yeah. long term. No, that's not sustainable. For it's sure. not sustainable. Okay, so or so so explain where where were you born? Where did you start playing? All that kind of stuff. Yeah, so I grew up in Indiana. Um, that's where I was born and raised. And I mean, like they say, in forty nine other states, it's just basketball. But this is <laughs> Indiana. Um, basketball is king there, and that's what every little boy grows up wanting to wanting to do. And I was no different. Um, played everything kind of, and then. As I got into high school, um, I just didn't have the, the athleticism to be able, I was the third youngest kid in my grade, um, would have been, I would have been the perfect kid that now I would have started later or been held back a year or, you know, take a red shirt year, whatever you call it. And uh, would have meant an extra year or two of varsity for me because I just matured late. But um, we, I was at our school in an era when um, it was the best team our school has ever had. And it was when Indiana was all one big tournament still before they went to class basketball. Right. Um, so yeah, those were, you know, if you think of the movie Hoosiers, like we made it, we made it to the round of 32 my junior year, which was a really cool thing. And it's weird. You in Indiana, the goal is to make it to the sweet 16, which is a Hinkle field house where right. Butler plays. And that's yep. you know, where Hoosiers is where they measure the rim and everything. Yep. And uh, we played a game at, I think it was at 10 a.m. in the round of 32. And if we would have won that game, we would be in the Sweet 16. We would have played again at 8 o'clock that night. That so night? Two games in the, that night, two games in the same day in the state tournament. If you could imagine that that's what you would do, but that's, that's what would have happened. But uh, as it turned out, we lost that game. We blew a big lead. And um, But, yeah, so – I spent my time going to Indiana games, watching, you know, we had season tickets for the Hoosiers and we would sit, you know, about six rows. My brother-in-law had really good tickets about six rows behind the bench and just grew up a huge Bobby Knight fan, a huge Indiana fan. Really uh, steep. My wife, my wife got her, her, her uh, specialist degree from there. And, um, she went to the games and it's like, it's, it's unbelievable how steep the stairs it, are. So, it yeah. is very vertical. Yes. Very vertical. No, no doubt about it. Um, Assembly hall is, is a really cool place to watch a basketball game when it's full. Yeah. But that had a big impression on me just for, 
style of play for how the game should be played with a free flowing motion offense and man to man defense. Um, not necessarily my coaching style. I'm not a yeller. I'm not a screamer. I'm not, you know, I don't try to model myself after uh, coach Knight in any way, but I mean, it was a different era. It's, it is what it is, but um, but my background when, when I wasn't good enough to play basketball anymore between eighth and ninth grade, I got into golf pretty heavily and got pretty good pretty fast and ended up going to college uh, on a full ride scholarship and then dropped out after two years and turned pro when I was 19 and um, had like a seven year playing career. And so explain how that worked. Did you go to Canada? Did you go to? No, no, I went to Florida. It's where okay. It's where everybody goes. So they have what was called the mini tours back then. This was just before Tiger came along and was brought a lot Hooters? more money. It was before Hooters then, right? The Hooters tour. What was the it? Hooters tour was around then. So yeah, I played a decent amount of Hooters tour and um, but there were a lot of mini tours. They call them in Florida. Okay. Like the Tommy Armor tour and the JC Goosey tour. There are a lot of little mini tours down there. So I did it on my own dime and worked as a bartender at night um, for the first couple of years. And then I had a decent track record. So I was able to get some sponsorship. Okay. And, like incorporated myself and sold shares in myself and people could invest in me, you know, it's like expenses to live and play full time were about 60,000. So it's like five grand a month, That's which crazy. it would be probably twice that now. Oh, it'd be. Yeah. So yeah, they're talking about like NFTs and people actually actually selling parts of themselves. So that'd be interesting for golfers. Um, did you try to go get your card? That's an interesting book. I have that on my shelf. I think about the PGA trying to get your card. Yeah, that's yeah. Right. No, I did that. I did the, tried the qualifying school route and some of those things. And I mean, that's just a a perennial thing that you're always chasing. And you know, my dream was obviously to be a pro and to to make it to play in the masters. That was for me, that was the Mecca of all right. things, which I did not make it. But um, my first daughter is named Augusta for obvious reasons. Ah, I love that. If, if she was a boy, she would have been Nicholas, but um, okay. yeah. So that was, that was my journey. And then at some point, you know, you just, you, you're just another year older if you keep doing it and you realize you're just not quite good enough to, to break through. And it's, it's a hard way to make an easy living is kind of how I put it. Like what I figured out is no matter how much you love something, if you have to do it to survive, it can become a job like anything else. Right. And it was mostly motel six and ramen noodles. It's not like, you know, I was Ruth Chris and flying private jets or anything. Right. So did, did you get to play? Did you get to play in any tournaments like PGA tournaments? So I made it into um, what you would, consider pga tour level uh tournaments that were in chicago okay um one was called the chicago open okay and when i played in that i, I made it through some qualifiers um and played in that in 1998 and the last time they had hosted that event was 1948 it was an official pga tour event right and so the defending champion was ken ventura okay. who was a famous you know pga tour guy and so this is 1998 Chicago. So Michael Jordan was into golf at that time. So he played in the event and it was like sponsored by LaSalle bank, which is a big bank in that area. Yep. First prize was like $250,000, which that was way bigger than the, than the tournaments I was playing in at the time. Like if you won something, you might win five or 10. 
right. thousand at that time. So yeah, that was a really cool deal. And uh, I didn't play with Jordan, but I, I saw him and he just had mobs of people following oh, I bet, him. I bet that and helped him. Yeah. And I got paired with a, a kid. I call him a kid. He wasn't much younger than me at that time, but I got paired with a kid who was a senior at Northwestern University okay. at that time uh, by the name of Luke Donald. Okay. Which I had no idea who he was. And I didn't miss a shot for two days. And he was leading the event after two days and he was 11 shots ahead of me. And that's when I realized I was probably, <laughs> I probably wasn't going to make it very long in that, right. in that business. He now Luke ended up becoming the number one player in the world for, right. for a stretch, um, right. you know, and it's still, but you saw there. what the bar was. I saw what the bar was and it, it just, you can't even fathom how good, those guys were, but I had a blast. I don't, you know, I don't regret it for a second. Had a friend of mine that moved down to Florida and caddied for me. And we had like a local sports talk radio show that he used to work at. And we would call in and give like a weekly report of like where we were and what, you know, life on the tour and what we were going through. Um, he would write like a monthly newsletter and send it out to my sponsors and those guys that it was like fantasy football for them. And they would fly me in to play in their, you know, corporate sc scramble tournaments and stuff as a ringer. So when we, we had a blast, right. kind of like you said with your son with taking a gap year, like, you know, now's the time to do it. If you're going to chase it. Um, now I teach seniors and I tell my seniors, your twenties are one to figure out your life, man, yeah. like figure it out, like live on, live on someone's couch eat ramen <laughs> and i mean then you'll then because once you get responsibilities you won't be able to do that right? it all changes yeah it all changes um, so eventually then yeah I, I met a girl and um stopped doing that and start got into selling insurance and trying to get a real job and uh, my wife ended up getting pregnant with my first daughter and that was when i really just kind of officially stopped chasing it right and at that time, then was home for about a six month stretch while she was, was pregnant and everything. And that was when she just said, like, I don't know what you're going to do, but like, you have to do something where there's winning and losing involved. Like you've got to get out of this house. You're driving me nuts. Right. <laughs> and I'm like, well, what am I supposed to do? Like, I'm not going back. I'm not going to do the golf thing. We had moved to Colorado because she had a great job offer. Okay. And she got in Colorado. So we had moved out there and I'm like, I'm not doing the golf thing. I don't want to be gone. I don't want right. to be on the road. Um, and she said, well, I don't know. Like, you know, you could coach basketball. And I'm like, what? Did you ever yeah, think of becoming a golf pro? I did. I spent, I spent two years in the business um, okay. doing that. Yeah. As a, as an assistant pro at like a private. Yeah. The, the funny thing is, um, what I ended up figuring out was I loved golf too much to be a golf pro. Yeah. Like <laughs> golf pros don't play golf. They they're in there, they're giving lessons, they're selling shirts, they're, you know, right. making tea times. Yeah. Um, and I looking at that business, there's times I wish I would have stayed in it, but there's no light at the end of the tunnel, like the head pro, the director of golf. It's not like, okay, once you get to that level, it lets up and you get to go. No, I mean, those guys are, just They're as busy as, yeah, yeah sun yeah. up to sundown you know i mean there are some jobs where it matters if your pro is a good player right but there's not very many of them 
And yeah, it's just, it's, it's gig, yeah. just like coaching really. Right. In terms right. of how much you're gone and all that. So, I mean, she said, well, you're from Indiana. Like surely someone would hire you. And I'm just like, do well, you think someone's going to hire me because I'm from it? Like I had never thought about that, that I had done some teaching in golf. <laughs> that's totally different. Right. Right. <laughs> I was like we weren't around basketball in any capacity at this time. So lo and behold, she finds a thing on Craigslist of all places that was like an eighth grade travel team in Boulder that fed into Boulder high school. And the guy was looking for an, a volunteer assistant coach. Okay. And I, I sent him, you know, an email and I ended up interviewing with him. Hey everybody. Hope you're enjoying the podcast. Just real quick, quick shout out to our, to, um, teachhoops.com who allows us to keep this this thing going you know we're over 600 and almost 700 podcasts um, go over and support us and by supporting teachhoops.com they allow us to do this go over and subscribe um, wherever you uh, like this and leave a review those five-star reviews do me a lot they I, I know they take time to fill out and do um, and they mean a ton to, to me and um, to everyone that, that helps us here uh, at coach market so uh, yeah let's head back to the podcast and it was, it turned out to be, I mean, he put me, it's the hardest interview I've ever had to this day. <laughs> it was two and a half hours. He put me through the ringer because it was between me and another guy right. who I think probably, you know, I couldn't even spell basketball at that point. Right. <laughs> and uh, what it boiled down to was he hired me because two reasons, he said, number one, I was from Indiana. And number two, he had two great Danes and the dogs really liked me. And I guess, <laughs> I guess the other guy didn't like dogs. So, okay. <laughs> um, we went through that year and I knew pretty, pretty quickly that I loved coaching. Um, and it was like, you know, dealing with kids who were young and it just kind of taking me back to my youth a little bit. And, right. uh, we, we were good. That team ended up being 35 and five. And at the end of the year in Colorado, they do this huge tournament with like every every middle school in the state is like in it. And we made it to the final four. But as we approached that time of the year, um, the head coach got swine flu, which is kind of weird now with like COVID going around. But he got the H1N1. Like he got it. That's crazy. And that probably he, shut your team down, huh? Well, he broke. No, it wasn't. You didn't do that. Like, but he Damn. broke three ribs from cough. I mean, I went to visit him. He had three broken ribs from coughing and his eyes looked like he was going to bleed to death out of his eyeballs. I didn't think he was going to make it honestly. Wow. So I ended up coaching the team at the end of the year, which, and so I was just hooked and um, that team fed into Boulder high school. So when that season ended in the fall, I called up the coach at Boulder high and said, are you, you know, I helped with this team. Are you interested? And in, like, can I be a scout? Can I sweep the floor? Whatever. And he's right. like, yeah, come on in. And they were Boulder high was number two in the state that year. This guy was a coaching legend that coached for 30 years and won 11 titles. So okay. I learned, I mean, it was, yeah, super accelerated learning. And he, he said uh, after, you know, one season with him, he was like, what I want to do is show up and coach the games. He's like, I want to, I want to fly fish and I want to do whatever I want to do in the summer. 
but I want to show up about 10 minutes before the game, coach the game, talk to the newspaper and go home. So he's like, if you want to run everything else, you know, I'll give you the blueprint and you do all the work and I get all the credit. Are you interested? And I'm like, yes, (laughs) (laughs) I'll I'll do it all. (laughs) So yeah, I coached out there for, for three years. And then he, he ended up um, getting, having to have back surgery and and being down the last year I was there. And so I was like interim coach with another guy and we went to the state championship and we had Mr. Basketball on our team. I mean, it was just an awesome, awesome thing. So the plan was for me at that time, um, living in Boulder and with coach Schultz stepping down, I was being seriously considered for the, for that job, which the Boulder high job is, one of the top 10 jobs in the state of Colorado. Right. Um, and, you know, I was kind of the interim, like running the summer program and, and everything. And um, that was when, so at that time we had two, two daughters now and we were living at 9,000 feet up in the mountains of Colorado, which is a very isolated, very difficult. I mean, like we got 56 inches of snow in one day. Right. You just never know what's going to happen up there. Right. Um, and my wife said, like, if you want to be a coach, that's great. I support you hundred percent, but you have to get me where there's family because I'm just sitting up here on top of this mountain all alone, basically. Right. Right. Yeah. So that whole time, the, the four year stretch, when I started coaching to when I thought I was going to get the Boulder high job, um, you know, I'd gone back to school and, and got my master's to like finish my, my college got my master's degree online because I'm thinking I'm going to be a coach. And if I'm going to be a coach, the most natural thing is I'm going to be a teacher. Right. So went and got my master's um, and was a stay at home dad at that time for, for two little girls, which was incredible. But yeah, I mean, I, I'm the guy that used to coach with my daughter hanging in the little sack, you know, taking a nap or in the stroller behind the bench, beside the bench while games going on. Um, so yeah, so we, we had some things that happened at that time, like, um, found out that my wife, she was 30 at that time, found out she had cancer, like, and found out that my wife and my dad had cancer in the same day. Oh, just brutal. brutal. Yeah. So my parents were still in Indiana, which was a long way from where we lived. Right. Didn't get home very often. So that just made it even more important to get you know, closer to home and to get my wife where she had the family support that she needed. So that brought us to Virginia. Okay. Um, that's where her family was. And uh, yeah, so that got me eight hours from home instead of 17 hours, but. And you won't get 56 inches of snow in Virginia. So I hope not if we do. <laughs> I mean, Cause in Colorado, I dug myself out. I was out after two days. It, it melts so fast out there. Right. But around here, yeah, 56 inches would last. <laughs> It'd probably last the whole summer. Um, right. So I found out I was moving here and I um, sent an email to basically every school within 45 minutes of Harrisonburg and just said, if you need a JV coach, if you need an assistant, if you have a head coaching job, whatever it is, I'm coming to the area and I want to coach. And um, I got an email back from a guy who was like, basically their coach had just walked out and had just quit. And he's like, I think we have an opening. I flew out from Colorado to interview and, and got the job um, at, a, at a public school here called Turner Ashby. 
and I, I, you know, they had not been very good at basketball. They had had one stretch in the early 2000s where they were, they had a, a good group come through, but like, I think at the time they had not had back-to-back winning seasons in like 20 years and right some of that sort of stuff. So, but you did, but for the young coaches, you did, you, you, you took the initiative on this. This thing ain't going to drop in your, I mean, I remember when I was doing, I took, I took a, a, a book that had every state, every, every, um, high school in the state of Wisconsin. I started, I want, well, I'll, I'll, I'll send one here. I'll send one here. I'll send one here. It's like, yeah, you, you got to do some dirty work if you're going to do this. Oh, like, absolutely. And yeah. I, I mean, at that time I had only been coaching four years. Now I felt like, you know, poker, poker players now can get really good when they're young because they play online. They play seven or eight tables at one time. Versus in the old days, you have to sit there and, you know, play in person. So the amount of data and, and learning that you get can be so accelerated. Now, I felt like I had only been coaching four years, but I was coaching two AAU teams in the summer, like a seventh grade and a varsity, plus coaching the freshman team during the season, you know, plus being a varsity assistant. Like, I just felt like I had 15 years of experience in four years. Right. Right. Well, and that's why I tell young coaches, go coach. Like, go if you coach. want to become yeah. a coach, go coach. And coach yeah. as much as you possibly can. You have to be in the seat, making decisions, taking bullets, dealing with parents, like losing, learning, doing all of that. Like, um, yes. <laughs> so, but when we made the decision, honestly, at that time, I had been coaching four years and I had sort of stumbled into a pretty good situation at Boulder and with coach Schultz, where I felt like, you know, because of his experience and because he was the one that was saying that, you know, I would like for Chad to take over. I had a good chance of getting it, but I knew people that have been coaching for 20 years and couldn't get a head coaching job. So I'm like, the reality is if we move to Virginia, I'm probably not, I'm probably not going to ever coach. I'm going to try, but like, I didn't expect to, to get a job with four years of experience. Um, but I, I, and when they asked me to fly out and interview, it's like, I said, okay, I mean, I, I definitely am in on this and I'm not telling you, obviously you can't make a decision until you meet me, but I want to make sure I'm going to be very seriously considered if I'm flying from Colorado to Virginia to interview, like, and they're like, yeah, it's, you know, it's, you're basically in our final three. So Okay. Um, and so I took that job and we were not very good the first year. I mean, we were five and 18 with the varsity team and the JV team was two and 18. So we were seven and 36 combined. And I had just left a program where we went to the state championship. We had Mr. Basketball on our team. <laughs> so, and I had coached that team in the spring, summer, and fall. They all played on my AAU team, and we went 77 and 17. So I went from that to, you know, a very good, right. And we had, at the time, we had 53 Ds and Fs on a roster of 24 kids. Like we, like we just were not getting it done off the court. We weren't getting it done on the court. And I had to make a bunch of difficult decisions. I had to clean house a little bit and I had to get, you know, like put a lot of effort into the younger kids and get like an AAU feeder system going and all that stuff. So 
one of the things I'm most proud of as a coach is that next year we were 14 and 12 and the JVs were 16 and two. So we went from seven combined wins to 30 in one year. Right. And both teams started off four and oh. And so how do you think that happened other than just, you think it was the cleaning the house? You think it was the AAU? What do you think for a younger coach listening? What do you think that was? Well, I know what it was and it was, I mean, it was just grunt work. Like literally it, we were running what would almost be like an elementary level. I mean, I had kids that couldn't pivot. My best player like caught the ball in the high post and I'm like, you got to turn and look opposite. And like, he would just twist his body. Like he didn't know how to even pivot. So I started and I'm, I'm glad that I did this. I can't believe how much it's helped me, you know, now. And I coach pretty good teams now, but even still some of that stuff has helped me just learn. I mean, I developed all my own finishing drills. I developed a bunch of footwork drills. I developed a bunch of shooting drills. I dove into the mechanics of shooting a basketball, which I found to be extremely similar to to swinging golf club right in a lot of ways and like what you feel isn't necessarily real and all sorts of things that uh that really became my mission was to to teach people to shoot and so yeah I kind of went down that path and I mean the bottom line is I had kids that were willing to be coached and they were willing to show up every day and do the work I mean it wasn't any magic wand it was just we would lift for an hour, shoot for an hour, and play for an hour every single day. Right. Lift, shoot, play, lift, shoot, play, lift, shoot, play. <laughs> and eventually we got to where we were pretty good. So, yeah, starting off that that second year there, um, both teams started off 4-0. So we won eight games, which was more than we won the whole previous season combined. And we went to the regional tournament. It was the first time in, like, 12 years. And did all sorts of good stuff. So, and we broke the school record for three pointers that year. And then we turned around and broke our own record the next year um, where we won right. 15 games. So yeah, we had a pretty good four year stretch there. I had a kid who um, was in seventh grade when I got there that was, they had him as a post player on the seventh grade team, just cause he was the tallest kid. He was like six two. Right. And the kids, the kids basketball IQ and, and everything in my mind, he was a point guard. So I, how I wanted to develop him, which led to some disagreements with the middle school coaches because they wanted to plant him under the basket, you know. <laughs> they wanted to win games, which is a horrible thing to do at that level too. Yes. It's like, come on. So yeah. then out here in eighth grade, you can play JV. So we moved him up to the JV team as an eighth grader. And I told him like, you're going to play point guard. And he said, well, like, what if we get pressed and I can't get the ball up the floor? I said, then you're going to have a long year. I mean, you better figure it out. Like, right. And he did get pressed and he did have games where he had 10, 11 turnovers, but he was long and he was a big guard in my mind. And I liked that he could see over the top and, and, you know, do some things. And, he was just the kind of kid that I felt like if he was our best player, everyone else was going to, we had a chance to be special. Right. And he got uh, a division one offer his freshman year, which was the first one in school history. He ended up playing division two and he's, he's a senior this year, like having a great year, yeah. you know, great career at the D two level. 
but that really changed our program. And um, it, it was a variety of things that led me then at that time, there was a local D3 school that was really good called East, Eastern Mennonite University. I work okay. at Eastern Mennonite High School. They're not right. affiliated in any way. Really? That's I mean, they, they like that. I guess that would be a poor things that like, but they're not like, they're not together. They're not the same institution. Right. Um, yeah. They're separate people. Different people are running them basically. Yes. Yeah. But we're all one campus here in, okay. in similar philosophies. So the coach there, um, they were nicknamed the running Royals. Um, they were like top 10 every year in the, in the country with like points scored and like they played very, very fast. And I'd gone to their team camps and I'd go to their practices a lot and really developed a, a relationship with the head coach, a, a gentleman named Kirby Dean. Um, and he had, you know, talked me into come to Eastern Mennonite and being his assistant. So it was, it was a tough decision to leave to leave uh, Turner Ashby because I just kind of turned that program around. Right. So what did you, what was your takeaway from the time as a head? <sighs> like, well, I mean, I loved it and I wanted to be a head coach. I, I knew there was going to be more joy in that for me than being an assistant, but really I'm from Indiana in high school basketball is king. Hey everybody, I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Um, that was a great one. Make sure you subscribe and like wherever you listen to podcasts, Apple, Spotify, or whatever, and go over and check out teachings.com for coaches who want to get better. Have a great day. Sports Social Podcast Network.